I'm Ben Schultz from B. Schultz Farms in Levon, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Kerry Martin. Hello Texas, we got another week rolling, so jump on in with me, buckle up, and let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, a bill has been introduced by South Texas Congressman Tony Gonzalez to reimburse farmers and ranchers along the border for costs associated with illegal immigration. We'll check in with the congressman to get his take on why he's introduced this bill coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. How much more can the dairy industry in the Texas High Plains continue to grow? Just like with every other aspect of our region's agriculture, water will be a key issue in determining that. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Wheat producers across the country faced various issues, both positive and negative, in 2021. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. South Texas Congressman Tony Gonzalez has introduced legislation to reimburse farmers and ranchers in border communities for loss or damage to property caused by illegal immigrants crossing the southern border. So I represent Texas's 23rd district. It goes from San Antonio to El Paso, 820 miles of southern border. That's 42 percent of the southern border. And what I've seen with this Biden border crisis is uh, farmers and ranchers uh, are at the, the forefront of it. And it uh, doesn't matter if they're Republicans, Democrats, they vote or don't vote. Uh, they have uh uh, felt the brunt of this crisis, whether that's uh, damage to their property, damage to their uh, their fences, their water lines, their livestock, their uh, crops. It is a very real problem. We also have uh, an administration that really hasn't done anything about it. So, uh, you know, I, I've hosted 40 members of Congress uh, to the border. Uh, most recently, I brought Stephanie Vice from Oklahoma. And Stephanie, uh, when she went back home, she goes, Tony, we got to find a way to help uh, some of these ranchers and farmers. And that's what we did. The SAFE Act uh, put $75 million into account, an account that will reimburse uh, farmers and ranchers for damages to their property that are associated with this immigration crisis. The legislation would transfer $75 million in unobligated border construction funds over to FEMA to establish the Southern Border Landowner Security Grant Program. So far, 40 members of Congress have signed on to the bill. The only regret I I have is 38 of those were Republicans and only two of those were Democrats. And in, in the House 
of representatives. You really need both Democrats and Republicans to pass any type of uh, legislation, especially when you're in the minority. So uh, one of the things that I'm going to be doing is leaning on my Democrat colleagues to, uh, one, visit my district and other districts to see it firsthand. It's like, hey, don't, don't take it from me. I will take you to these ranches and these farmers and let them tell you uh, how this crisis has impacted them. That way they can get more buy-in. And uh, I, I think it's that's a big part of it. But we just can't stop. We can't just give up and go, oh, Republicans are in the minority. There's nothing we can do. We have to keep pushing. Ultimately, though, I'd argue that this it, this legislation isn't partisan and it just makes sense. And, and that's the type of stuff that we need to get over the finish line. So far, the bill has received endorsements from the National Border Patrol Council, the South Texans Property Rights Association, the Oklahoma Farm Bureau, the Texas Farm Bureau, the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association and the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. There will soon be a new cotton classing office in Lubbock. A state-of-the-art 30,000-square-foot cotton classification facility on the Texas Tech University campus is nearing completion. According to Southwest Farm Press, most of the building's exterior has been completed, and we're just a few months away from its opening. The publication reports builders have faced supply chain issues, labor shortages, and the coronavirus pandemic in constructing the cotton classification facility. The facility, which is a partnership between the U.S. Department Department of Agriculture and Texas Tech will classify the region's cotton and will serve as a learning and employment opportunity for Tech students. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The Texas wheat crop is struggling to get started thanks to the continually spreading drought. Ockletree County agent Scott Strawn says the condition of the crop depends on where the rain has fallen. Well, it's been a struggle. We typically start planting wheat right before Labor Day if you're going for a wheat pasture in the fall. The majority of it's planted from mid-September to about mid-October just for grain production. And, of course, since the 1st of August, we've been really dry. There's been some scattered rainfall during those periods. And so if you had a field that got the right rain at the right time, you have good germination, a good stand that's sitting there. But a lot of these fields didn't have that luxury. So our germination rate and the stand in a lot of these fields are real marginal on dry land. Of course, irrigated, they had to fire up the wells and just water a lot just to get that wheat off to a good start. It's tough. We need some rain right now, and we needed it two months ago, in fact. Strawn says the milder temperatures this fall have helped the wheat crop, but without moisture, it will continue to struggle. Our mm-hmm. two limiting factors on most crops in our county is moisture or precipitation and nitrogen as far as fertility. And when you have those two things plus some heat, then you can actually do quite well. If we'd have been just getting some rain along with the milder temperatures, our wheat would be looking fantastic. It would really grow a lot with these milder temperatures, but without that moisture, then we're in big trouble. Ockletree County Agent Scott Strawn. How much more can the dairy industry on the Texas High Plains continue to grow? James Hunt tells us that like other agricultural industries in that area, water will be the limiting factor. As we talked about in our previous report, the dairy business has experienced incredible growth in our region over the past couple decades. 
Texas A&M AgriLife dairy specialist Juan Pinheiro says if you look back to the year 2000, there were only about 20,000 dairy cows in the Texas panhandle. Now the dairy herd in the region is closing in on the half million mark. How much more can the industry grow here? Dr. Pinheiro says a big factor in determining that will be what happens with processing. If the milk processing capacity continues to expand, the herd will continue to expand as well. Dr. Pinheiro says there are five processing plants in our region right now, with two more to be built, one in Lubbock and one in Amarillo. So processing capacity is still increasing, at least for the time being. But another consideration for the dairy industry is water. As we all know, our region's water resources are limited. So Dr. Pinheiro says the effort to become more efficient with water must continue. Although it should be noted that many dairies make it a daily practice to get multiple uses out of each gallon. Most of these dairies are using water at least three times. They may use the water to cool down the milk, then they use it to clean the barn, and then when it goes to the lagoon, they use it to irrigate the land. In keeping with the water use theme, Dr. Pinheiro also encourages the dairy business to go with more water-efficient and drought-tolerant crops for forage. Not only water-efficient from the standpoint of trying to reduce water use in relation to the yield, but also drought-tolerant to try to mitigate the risk of losing some quality of that forage from droughts that we could have in this area. We'll have more from Dr. Juan Pinheiro in tomorrow's report. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Wheat producers across the country have faced a variety of issues here in 2021. Tom Nicoletti visits with the leader of the National Association of Wheat Growers about the year that wheat producers have had. My guest today is Dave Milligan. He is president of the National Association of Wheat Growers. He himself a wheat uh, producer in Michigan. And Dave, as president of the Wheat Growers Association, uh, what have you been hearing from uh, producers across uh, the country and in Texas about the wheat production in 2021? This growing season, I think you have to say the big issue has been drought. You know, nationwide, the Pacific Northwest and North Dakotas and Montanas have certainly been devastated by dry weather. The rest of the country is probably a lot better off, but uh, you certainly got to, it's been a real issue for a lot of growers. Yeah, now Texas farmers are are planting their winter wheat uh, and uh, at this time of the year, and certainly prices, commodity prices are certainly much better for farmers across the spectrum this year as compared to uh, previous years. That's right. You know, supply and demand drives the market and the supply is definitely reduced with the dry weather. Of course, input costs are extremely high for producers across the country and and in Texas. Uh, What are you hearing about that and how that's uh, affecting uh, wheat producers' uh, bottom lines? That is the number one topic. And I think every grower, every country, every state anymore is is the supply shortages and the greatly inflated prices. I mean, when we see fertilizer prices double and triple, it's uh, very upsetting. you know, we don't, we don't know where this thing's going. That is Dave Milligan. He is president of the National Association of Wheat Growers. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is looking for new ways to control feral hogs. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And if you raise baby calves here in Texas, winter can be an especially difficult time. 
Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you raise baby calves in Texas, winter can be an especially difficult time. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some hints on getting those baby calves through the cold weather. Bovine veterinarian indicates it is extremely important to warm fluids before feeding calves milk, milk replacer, or electrolytes during the winter. The ideal temperature for liquid rations is 100 to 105 degrees Fahrenheit, according to Ann Haskins at VitaPlus. Warming the fluid helps calves to maintain body temperature and conserve energy in cold climates. As I have mentioned previously on the program, it requires a lot of energy for calves just to keep warm, and if you feed them cold fluids, it makes it even more difficult. Feeding cold fluids can also lead to a serious condition called abomasal bloat. With abomasal bloat, the calf's stomach basically shuts down, and these calves will dehydrate and die in many cases without intravenous fluids. In preparing any liquid feeding solution, there are some things that can help prevent problems in cold weather. Cold storage is excellent for preserving powdered milk replacer stability, but milk replacer that is subject to rapid temperature change will cause condensation that can interfere with proper mixing of the final solution. For this reason, it is recommended moving milk replacer from cold storage to room temperature two days prior to expected usage. The usage of cold milk pails and other feeding utensils can decrease the temperature of the final solution, so keeping these materials at room temperature is a good idea. And if it is really cold, the temperature can drop between feeding the first and last calf. So checking the temperature during the feeding process should also be performed. The best method of transporting milk in the winter is to use an insulated storage tank and wrap the tank in an insulated sleeping blanket. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is looking for new ways to control feral hogs. Jessica Domel tells more about it in today's Wildlife Report. Researchers from the U.S. Department of Agriculture continue to look for new ways to control the growing feral hog or wild pig population in the United States. While traps and hunting do help cut down on wild pig numbers, John Kilgo from the U.S. Forest Service tells USDA Radio that sometimes it's not enough. The way hog traps or pig traps or swan traps have worked historically is that it's some sort of enclosure with a trap door or some kind of door that swings closed. When a pig on the inside of the trap hits some sort of trigger mechanism. So one of the problems with this is that pigs run in groups often called sounders. And the first pig that's in the trap that, that pumps whatever the trigger is, often there are still others in the group that are outside. It. So you don't catch the whole group. And the ones that are outside the trap then are educated to the dangers of traps and are already catching the future. That is why researchers are now looking into new technology-based smart traps and whole sounder trapping at a test site in South Carolina. 
with the advent of cellular-enabled cameras, we now have the capability to put a camera on a trap that will send images of what's in the trap, which pigs are in the trap, and then can in turn receive commands from the trapper to close the gate when the trapper is ready. If you know the composition of the sounder you're trying to trap, which you determine through pre-trapping trail camera work to see how many are in the group, what they look like, the size and age composition, you can wait for all of the pigs to get in the trap before you close the trap. Kilgo said the hope is that feral hog control and trapping becomes more doable and more effective. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Cattle, cotton, and wheat all kicking off the week on a higher note Monday, while the corn market moved lower. We'll look at all of Monday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. It's been a tough year. As a farmer or rancher, you know life in agriculture is often stressful. Things like the economy, finances, weather, and even a pandemic increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. With a demanding workload, it seems that there isn't room for the soft stuff, like talking about feelings. Yet, talking about the hard times can be one of the best ways to manage this stress. Although we can't always control or choose our circumstances, we can control and choose how we respond to them. Sometimes that response looks like asking for help. Some would say the best quality of a farmer or rancher is their independent spirit. But what is agriculture without its community? A force of helpers, neighbors, extension, Farm Bureau members, friends, counselors, and pastors. We are stronger together. Find someone you can talk to. Find the help you need. The Southwest Ag Center is working with the Texas Department of Agriculture to identify stress assistance and resources. Visit swagcenter.org stress to learn more. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle, cotton, and wheat all having a positive close on Monday. We'll start with the cattle futures like we always do. December live cattle up 10 cents at 136.95. February up 77, 138.85. April live cattle up 50 cents, closing at 142.37. The feeder market higher also. January feeder cattle up 65, 165.52. March feeders up $1.17 at 166.47. April feeder cattle up $1.50. 169.35. Cash fed cattle market all quiet on Monday, as we usually see. We wrapped up last week selling cattle as high as 140 to 140 and a quarter. That's about two bucks slower than the previous week. Last week's negotiated cash cattle trade totaled 66,624 head. Boxed beef prices higher on Monday, choice up a penny at 264.55. Select up a dollar forty-two at two fifty-three sixty-six. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. I'm on the line with Phil Brockenbush from Giddings Livestock. They sell them every Monday. Phil, how was the last Monday sale? It was good. We had uh, 1,769 cattle, 210 cows, and about 25 bulls. Let's walk the pins. Steers, 300 pounds and back. Bring around all 147. Three to four weights. They brought, you know, 150 to 60 on average, up to $1.9750. The four to five weight steers kind of average around, you know, a buck fifty. Bring up to 187.50 on the best one. The five to six weight steers kind of bring around that one. 
140 uh, up to 167.50. Six to seven weight steers average around 133, bring up to 151 on the best ones. Seven to eight weight steers bring around 124, the best one bringing 142. The heifer mate, 300 pounds and back, average around 140, brought up to 162 and a half. Three to four weight heifers, 137 on average, up to 177.50. Four to five weight heifers, uh, 136, up to 180. Five to six weight heifers, 133 to 156. Six to seven weight heifers, 129, up to 167.50. Seven to eight weight heifers, 116 to 135. Bill, how about the cow end of it? I think our best packer cow brought 79. Thin <laughs> cows, they bring from 15 to 35. High yielding cows bring from kind of 65 to 79. Best pair brought 14 and a quarter. What'd your bread cows do? 600 to 13 and a quarter. Y'all sell on Mondays. What do you have going on this next Monday? We'll have around 100 crossbred cows. They'll be from three-year-olds to just kind of middle-aged cows. Just kind of some good ranching cows. What time will you start? Yeah, we'll start at 12 o'clock. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you for the Monday sale at Giddings Livestock Commission Company. You can call the sale barn at 979-542-2274, or you can call me at 979-716-4395. Bill, thanks for walking the pens with us. Yes, sir. Thank you, Larry. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs close lower. December hogs down 77 cents at 72.27. February hogs down 27 at 80.75. Class 3 milk was steady to higher. The nearby December unchanged, 18.60 a hundredweight. January milk up 11 at 19.93 a hundred. The cotton market closed higher on Monday. We've got some good fundamental factors helping to support cotton prices right now, including strong weekly export sales, a big reduction in global carryout, and an exceptionally high inflation report out last week. All that making for a higher close on Monday, with March cotton up 58 points, 106.81, May cotton up 55 at 105.48, December new crop cotton up 17 points at 89.92 cents. The corn market was lower, spillover pressure from the soybean market pushing corn prices lower. Soybeans and corn both feeling the pressure from good weather forecasts down in South America. December corn down four and a quarter, 584 and a quarter. New crop September corn down six at 558 and a quarter. The wheat market continuing to make up for lost ground. We had some big losses earlier last week. However, on Friday and then again on Monday, we continue to make up some of those losses with July Kansas City wheat up five cents, 803 and a half. July Chicago wheat up three and a half, 786 and a half. In the energy markets, January natural gas down nine cents, 383. January crude oil down 48. At 71.19 a barrel. The financial markets were lower Monday afternoon. The Dow down 320 points at 35,650. The Nasdaq down 217, 15,413. The SP down 43 points, 4,668. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.